net zero emissions by 2050 seems out of reach of a major acceleration of clean energy technology innovations. India, as you know, is keenly looking at accelerating its entire innovation ecosystem and clean energy forms a major component in it. The startup ecosystem is challenging the status quo. It's audacious, ambitious, you know, it's trying to reimagine and transform the way we produce and consume and uh, not just energy, but anything. I just think we need, um, we probably need tens of companies, if not hundreds, of the size of BP and Shell just working on decarbonization. I believe that in a space like this, it's important for a company to keep disrupting not just the market, but also itself. I'm an optimist and I think uh, people might be thinking in a linear fashion, but a lot of these things happen non-linearly. So. The systems change in some of the sectors, such as mobility, is very palpable. Hi, this is Innovation Frontlines, a podcast by the International Energy Agency on the innovations and innovators that could help take us to a net zero emissions future. I'm Siddharth Singh, a consultant with the IA based in India, working on a range of issues that impact energy transitions. And I'm Simon Bennett, a technology analyst with the IA in Paris, leading work on energy innovation policy globally. In today's episode, we're delighted to have with us Darshan Virupaksha, who's a co-founder of Nunam, an energy storage solutions provider that is working to create a product within what's called the circular economy and giving a second life to lithium ion batteries, helping to enhance energy access and other reliability concerns that we have in the, the clean energy system. Darshan, welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Darshan, for being with us. Now, before we you know, bring in Darshan for further discussions, let's discuss a few of the challenges that we face. Batteries have become pervasive in the modern economy, from the devices in your hand to electric cars to the power backups in homes and offices. We rely on batteries to provide us uninterrupted supply of energy and greater mobility through the modern tools we use. Analysis by the IEA shows that India would have one of the world's largest battery markets by 2030. India, however, is a net importer of batteries and the critical minerals that make them. And this import dependence would likely increase as the, as the demand grows. In such a situation, the role of a circular economy or battery recycling would be vital in displacing at least some of the demand for batteries and their constituent materials. Globally, nearly 10% of mineral demand for batteries could be met by recycled materials by 2040 if the right conditions are in place. Parallelly, India's per capita energy demand is less than 40% of the world average. While India recently achieved the remarkable feat of electrifying all households, the household consumption for electricity, especially in recently electrified households, remains rather low. Additionally, reliability of electricity supplies continues to be an issue. In many locations, particularly in rural India, planned and unplanned outages are very common on a near daily basis. Recycling batteries offers low-cost solutions that could enhance access and reliability both. As India builds a modern economy, it will be imperative for it to build both enhanced energy access and reliability on the one hand, 
and also to create a circular economy that uses battery resources optimally. Our guest today works at the intersections of these challenges. And what I'm going to do now is something that we're, we're doing on this podcast, introduce Darshan, what our understanding is of the, the innovations that you've made in this space and why they're so impactful. And then the floor will be yours to tell us whether we got it, got it right or not. Um, but our understanding is that stationary batteries in general can provide tremendous value to people or companies whose electricity supply is not constant, whether that's due to the variability of renewables or an unreliable grid connection. In some cases, they can have a really big impact on livelihoods. For example, if dependable power can stop harvested food spoiling before it can reach consumers. But lithium ion batteries today in particular are too expensive for many of these users in India. Lithium ion batteries continue to be a premium product. However, we also have a situation in which too many batteries are being disposed of because they can no longer perform at the high level needed in, say, the electric car for, at which they've reached the end of their life, even though those batteries could actually still store power reliably. So the way that I would frame what you're doing at Nunam is that your technical innovation is a system for testing and guaranteeing the performance of batteries that would otherwise be sent for disposal or recycling and repackaging them for use in stationary applications in rural communities or small businesses at much lower cost than brand new battery packs, uh, like the kinds that you might find in a Tesla Powerwall, which is probably the one we're most familiar with for residential use. And I've seen that you've mentioned something like a 50% cost reduction in your literature. But that in itself needs to be coupled with a few key business innovations to make the system economically viable. So you have a system for collecting old batteries to secure your raw material. You then take responsibility for the battery during its second life to monitor performance and ensure good customer service to overcome people's hesitancy about using old batteries. And then thirdly, I think I'm right in saying that you take responsibility for ensuring that the batteries are reconditioned again or eventually recycled to demonstrate to investors that you're having a positive effect on the environment and that this really is a, a circular system. So how did we do? Bang on. I think you have described uh, very well covering all aspects of uh, what we are doing and what we intend to do uh, moving forward. Uh, yeah, you were, you were almost there. Okay. Well, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your current operations and at a broad level, how you see the problems that, that you're trying to solve and the role that Nunam could play in uh, meeting India's net zero emissions goal by 2070. Right. Thank you. Yes. So we have uh, a massive uh, challenge uh, ahead of us, as described uh, very well by Siddharth in the beginning. Uh, and uh, at present, we have a broken ecosystem uh, at hand, uh, which needs uh, a lot of stitching together, uh, both in terms of uh, technology and as well as uh, business uh, to make the whole circular economic model operational and uh, reliable for all the stakeholders uh, in the market. And and when I mean all the stakeholders, it is absolutely important that every stakeholder is part of this ecosystem with the skin in the game. And we shall elaborate more how that is the absolute necessity uh, to make uh, this happen. So we start with uh, supply. I mean, for Second Life batteries, the key element uh, is a, a consistent streamlined supply uh, of batteries 
which is possible with close partnerships with battery OEMs. Today, uh, most of the battery OEMs, uh, at least in India, uh, uh, are uh, yet in an early stage to you know, evolve strategies to uh, have uh, a plan in place on how uh, they would handle uh, batteries. Uh, but soon, uh, I hope they are now uh, evolving to to realize the value uh, because it has multiplier effect, not just from sustainability point of view, which is uh, obviously one of the key outcomes, but also uh, bring in economic benefit to the consumer of uh, electric vehicles as well. So our current operations right now is on yeah. constant discussions with these stakeholders, trying to help them understand the possibilities and develop ecosystem, let's say a guideline for the ecosystem to ensure uh, that OEM, the, uh, the fleet operators in EV in this case, who potentially also are the owners of the assets eventually take precautions and steps to make sure that the battery is used judiciously and uh, be able to you know, hand it over to us uh, for second life uh, opportunities. So it is more about educating the ecosystem and at the same time structuring uh, the supply chain uh, for second life opportunities. So once uh, these batteries are uh, at end of life, now we are looking at, I mean, at least in an Indian context, it's a few years from now, right? At least the commercial two-wheeler and uh, three-wheeler cargo segment uh, is looking at an end of life few years from now. And the volumes are significant for the small amount of companies who are attempting to solve this challenge. It, it is, for example, we have few micro-mobility players uh, who run about 15,000, 20,000 uh, two-wheelers today. I mean, let's say the formal micro-mobility players, there are a bunch of them even more. And uh, considering the life of the battery to be two to three years, we are looking at a few million cells uh, being discarded. Now, the, we do not have the tech to repurpose them in the ecosystem in a most economical mm. uh, mode because the downstream demand side customer is probably going to pay certain premium on lead acid batteries, but that would not be too high uh, because affordability is still something which we have to strive for as well. So, the entire ecosystem from OEM till uh, up to uh, Nunam has to be structured, streamlined, and costs have to be uh, controlled, which means there needs to be technology that could help scale such operations, both from testing, dismantling, and rebuilding the, the pack. So here we look at these three verticals, uh, currently focusing on identifying the remaining useful life of the pack and the nuances of how not to build a pack uh, from these old cells because they have a number of challenges uh, ahead of us uh, to solve, uh, which are let's say relatively new to many, many experts as well because something of this sort has historically not been uh, attempted. Uh, which pose new challenges and some some known challenges, some unknown challenges which we are encountering. And yeah, it has been an exciting journey uh, so far. And every day has been a, 
uh, a day worth noting in a diary of learnings for us that's fascinating darshan i think the challenges as you seem to describe them are indeed very multilayered you know they span technology design processes supply chain of course the financial issues as well but before we drill deeper into your experiences at nunam we'd like to learn a little bit more about you what's your origin story darshan where did you grow up what did you study and what path did you take that got you interested in battery reuse and of course the energy access question uh what is it that brought you to becoming the founder of nunam i was born in bangalore born and brought up i mean all throughout my life uh until recently i i spent some time in singapore but i have mostly lived in uh bangalore however most of my dear ones or relatives live up north uh, in the state of karnataka where we have significant challenges uh with respect to energy water and a bunch of them however my journey as as a learner as an engineer uh began in 2008 uh, where i started my electronics engineer engineering and uh went on to you know uh, work with a few research institutions uh in in bangalore or in, in india to build that acumen of curiosity uh, and and the intent to solve challenges somehow consciously or unconsciously i developed this intent or uh, or a need to search for a purpose in terms of you know employing my engineering skills so uh, i went on looking for opportunities which gave me some meaning to develop products and solutions for people uh, who face severe challenges and that that brought me into various community roles uh, in the in bangalore as you may know there are a lot of meetups and uh, a buzzing uh, ecosystem here in bangalore and one such unique opportunity was with icrc the the red cross where we looked at developing tech for uh, people with uh, challenges with physical disabilities uh, and that was like a we call it as enable makeathon and we that journey was very very insightful for me on how we could bring difference to people so while i uh, evolved my uh, uh, engineering skills i worked for a startup here in bangalore building this iot solutions so building this connected ecosystems so we were quite early in the game uh, so there was a lot of opportunity of learning in so the 3 years of my startup journey built uh, a good skill set in me to understand the nuances of building tech uh, right from uh, understanding the requirements to all the way deploying solutions and so on and so forth uh, during this journey i i happened to you know stumble upon an opportunity with a professor in uh, singapore university of technology and design in singapore where i uh, i got the role of uh, evolving a huge sensor network of 50000 devices in singapore studying various uh, patterns climatic conditions and patterns which which could uh, then be used for city policy making and that that gave me a, a next level of understanding of how data could be uh, utilized for policy making and the interpretations it could have uh, for daily lifestyle based feedback 
to to citizens and so and so forth so my journey from uh, bangalore in terms of r and d indian institute of science here to startup and then back in an r and d setup in singapore built that uh, framework in my mind to see the solution all through from a concept in the paper to how it could impact and in this in this pursuit i i happened to meet my co-founder through a common friend pradeep pradeep chatterjee uh, he had this in vision to figure out a way to reduce the cost of energy storage uh, for for larger masses in india and i got connected to him we we figured out that okay there are possibilities of reuse um, uh, which he he drove initially while i was in singapore we had small group of volunteers here collected a lot of waste batteries and then uh, and then experimented with it i mean it was like a diy approach and we didn't have a clear intent that we would build a company out of it we wanted to understand the challenges and see if, see how we can mature it however at the end of this prototyping experience uh, it was it was quite promising uh, we, although we started with laptop cells and mobile phone batteries in the beginning but it soon struck to us that yeah electric vehicles are on their way and it's going to be uh, a tsunami of batteries and if not handled well it is going to be worse than plastics for us because it's even more poisonous uh from a uh, from a waste management perspective so that is when we uh we decided that hey yeah this this is uh quite or super important for for the ecosystem and uh, having seen the history of waste management and the challenges uh, throughout the world and especially in developing countries we thought it is going to be absolutely important to to take a shot and see how we can contribute to this ecosystem and having socio economic value uh, to the society so uh, it was a no brainer to say yeah let's do it you know and and i think uh, we are going to be grateful to you uh, you know when we eventually see this as you say the deluge of batteries that will come in the future so we'll be grateful to efforts such as yours that that have you know put in place systems where uh, hopefully in the future we'll be able to manage uh, this problem in in a in a more efficient manner now you know uh, darshan as you were launching your company back then Uh, what was your first year like uh, you know what were the mistakes that you that you perhaps made then that you would not like to repeat now or uh, you know if somebody was starting out today what advice would you give them about about how to manage the expectations and challenges in year 1 right yeah it was i think um, a very interesting period where uh, both me and my co-founder would uh, collaborate remotely i mean sort of pre covid times if uh were uh, also like a lockdown uh, in terms of the nature of work is he used to be in germany so we we discussed uh, the set of activities for the week primarily it was on structuring our our thought process uh, reaching out to uh, sources or found various sources for funding and foundations uh, and at the same time trying to understand from the automotive sector on what they are thinking uh, so we we flexed all our networks globally try to reach out to people in in all the major oems to understand how uh, they are uh, perceiving this topic although it was quite uh, early but at the same time i guess each of them had their personal opinions so we we looked at uh, supply chain because that was i guess the key element here uh, 
primarily on supply of these used batteries and at what cost they could come at. And we realized that this is a massive problem. And, and, and then moving on to other elements of, okay, how can we operationalize the learning we had in the DIY approach and, uh, and trying to see how to get to the next MVP uh, at that moment, uh, which uh, was also quite hazy because 50% or more than that of people whom we interacted uh, had a lot of skepticism to this. Uh, I top academicians in India whom I reached out to were not very supportive. They, said they were looking at the n number of risks we could end up with uh, in this topic. So it was uh, uh, at times quite challenging to convince, uh, but at the same time we saw that the skepticism was there for a reason, uh, and there lies our challenge to transform their skepticism into an opportunity. And that was all about in year one. Uh, it's about talking to people, correcting feedback, and and uh, making sure that uh, we are at a point where uh, we are able to get the next set of people uh, with a certain structure uh, in mind to roll out our operations. Yes, we have uh, had a bunch of learnings uh, throughout this phase of first 12 to 18 months. Uh, I guess a lot of these do's and don'ts uh, are out there in the internet. I guess I don't have to repeat it, but I have one piece of uh, learning is to take enough time to uh, digest the content available uh, in the internet. In the rush of making things happen, uh, most of the time we sort of budget less time in our learning. And second thing uh, is do not hesitate to ask for help that could propel your speed and momentum quite significantly. I think that sounds like extremely good advice. Um, and the, the maturity that, that you have now after coming through this, this long journey that I've been fascinated hearing about from the sense of social purpose and being able to marry that with the, um, the technological solution, I think is, is inspiration to anybody who's, who's coming behind. Now, you said that you were able to to reach out for for help and, and receive help. And I've just got a question about, you know, where were the most important sources of, of support in in those first years? Um, who helped you the most? And to what extent was this um, public or, or private support? I have the impression that the, the automotive uh, companies didn't immediately um, jump on board and start showering you with, with cash. So... Who was helping you? Yeah, that's true. To begin with, I must say I was uh, privileged to be uh, in a city which is quite vibrant and uh, the startup ecosystem uh, is quite mature uh, in Bangalore. And that helped. And my activities in the past uh, with a lot of community uh, interactions, uh, about, let's say, 50-odd weekends I would be out in in various community activities, either teaching or learning. So that network uh, helped me uh, in my initial days where I would reach out for uh, advice in terms of how to communicate a certain value or how not to communicate or what is confusing people. Initially, we had, let's say, our ideas were cluttered. We were not able to communicate uh, in the manner in which they would uh, get through. And so my close associates in the community who have been 
collaborating with in various activities were my first go-to uh, uh, go-to advisors uh, who who came from different uh, verticals in in technology. So that was quite uh, helpful. And at the same time, I guess we uh, also reached out to our common friends and technology experts elsewhere uh, beyond uh, the geographical limitations. In However, in terms of uh, funding, yes, many challenges around it in terms of accessing it. Uh, but yeah, uh, as you may know, uh, we have collaboration with Audi uh, and, and they have been uh, quite supportive uh, on, on some of our activities. Uh, while we we have raised uh, grants from other sources uh, are out there in public so this was uh, this was the the journey out there in the initial phase yeah that's so yeah obviously you had this great community support but money is is a big factor in being able to sustain a, a startup over time and 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 grow so have you mostly relied so far on on public uh, what you might call non-dilutive uh, grants and what have been the sort of the, the pros and cons of that approach in your view right yeah i think we have been uh, a great beneficiary of of the planning which has gone through in the let's say in early 2010 to 15 period in terms of uh, promoting startup ecosystems here in india uh, in fact while I was part of the tech communities earlier, I used to take part in these meetings with the government on how they could propel the startup ecosystem and fortunate to be a beneficiary of it in the later phase. Uh, so starting from the state government here, uh, they gave us a grant. We have central government grants which have, uh, which have been distributed uh, in a quite, quite an effective manner. Uh, I mean, there is always a notion that, okay, we're getting government grants is tough, but that is actually uh, evolving. And, and uh, I think that is uh, quite streamlined now where they contribute to fund of funds and then you directly get uh, funding from these sources. Not a huge sum, but I think they are good enough to get an idea or a, a DIY prototype into a more polished, reliable uh, MVP, which can... Uh, which can set the stage for further uh, funding activities, even in a non-dilutive manner. It still could be scale-up grants, uh, but yeah, but uh, this is uh, something which uh, I have personally seen things evolving, uh, and not only from government, right? So you see uh, grants coming from Unido and a couple of other global organizations, uh, which which not not only have focus in in india and 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 also in other southeast asian countries in fact in 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 certain occasions they they promote collaboration between two countries having similar problems or or two two companies with similar themes uh, or complementary skill sets to come together and build solutions so all of these have evolved uh, significantly over the last few years when we started our journey in 2017 18 we didn't find uh, so many opportunities. Uh, there were uh, quite a few in EU and in the US, uh, but uh, more uh, public uh, accessible funds where we could give a shot uh, or in terms of the application process, I think it's significantly improved over a period of time, including the new portal which the government of India has, the Startup India. We have a lot of challenges coming across. Uh, at least gets us going in terms of uh, talking to the relevant stakeholder 
uh, even it may not be a grant of huge value, but you can talk to the stakeholder and communicate your value, uh, which was sometimes difficult if you don't have that network to get into C-suite of these major companies. Right, and with us being an agency that places great value on you know, good public policy, but also international cooperation, uh, this is, I think, you know, a really interesting insight um, and also uh, very much in line with our own research that we've been doing that shows that the, the amount of support that's been available has really increased in the last few years. Um, and I know that in certain places, there's been a bit of a shift as well from grants that you, know, you can only spend on technology development towards ones that you can also spend on on business development. Um, and it sounds like in your case, that's really helped you to, to sustain the business as well as just um, do technology testing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess many grant uh, organizations have realized that, okay, you trust the company and give them freedom to achieve their goals uh, and and uh, have less number of restrictions. Obviously, they have to prevent misuse. So there are few restrictions in place, but largely, uh, I guess they are now uh, offering uh, responsibility to the startup to utilize the fund uh, in the best possible manner that can propel them. Uh, because each startup has their own need and it is difficult to fit everyone into a framework. Great. Uh, so, Darshan, I'd like to actually now focus a little bit on, you know, what's happening at the national scale. So, you know, while India does not necessarily have an overarching battery recycling or reuse policy at the moment, uh, you know, what types of ambitions or regulations are already in place that encourage investment, uh, you know, into this space in general? Uh, and a related question is, if you were to help design a policy or an ambition uh, or perhaps even regulatory changes that encourage, uh, you know, the circularity in this space, what kind of recommendations would you provide? Uh, you know, especially uh, those that relate to the safety of batteries. Are there certain processes or certain, uh, you know, standards that, that you would recommend? And if so, what would they be? So from a national policy perspective with respect to introducing circularity uh, in the Indian battery ecosystem. Uh, I guess we, we are yet to take uh, some concrete steps uh, that can uh, provide direction uh, to all the stakeholders. However, we have seen Niti Aayog, uh, the, the, the think tank, to have identified the challenge and uh, in various forums uh, proposing possibilities. However, I guess everybody in the ecosystem realizes the importance of uh, rolling out uh, such a plan. And, and just pre-COVID, I think in February 2019, we had the Ministry of Environment, Forest and Climate Change uh, propose a draft policy. However, uh, I guess due to various other challenges, it has not been converted into a, a rule uh, yet, but I am looking forward to the policy and that could set the impetus and generate the required momentum to streamline uh, some of the uh, some of the nuances in the ecosystem. While we wait for uh, the policy to to have uh, 
the shape and form in place to to enact accordingly uh, i am i guess uh, some of our fellow clean tech entrepreneurs both in the energy and the ev space have been uh, able to evolve uh, a possible intervention in terms of creating sustainable economic opportunity uh, to handle uh, the e waste uh, but in in few niche applications and this intervention requires uh, you know all the stakeholders to think through as as rightly alluded by siddharth in the beginning uh, we we have to uh, ensure that the oem understands the need and brings in interventions such as design philosophies to to enable reuse or re- reduce challenges in in the second life from a complexity of dismantling point of view choice of cells and and the quality of electronics which uh, they would employ to ensure the batteries are safe i guess uh, some of these standards are are there but we will have to provide more details such that you encourage quality and as well as build enough financial levers to distribute the cost over the entire life term of the battery uh, so that uh, since every every stakeholder benefits from the quality of electronics and the cells used initially uh, and and every stakeholder has to pay for that quality so that it is sustainable and viable for for everyone and the quality is not enforced but by choice they you know uh, how this is going to pan out in the entire life cycle of the battery so it is sort of a responsibility and opportunity and uh, and a policy framework which can you know with a confluence of all uh, shall improve the battery ecosystem in india and there you 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 finished by mentioning india specifically and i just wanted to follow up but i was wondering you know to what extent this is a um, an opportunity that is kind of very indian in nature um that you've you've identified the, the confluence of factors in terms of the the batteries and the the demand for cheaper batteries um suits the indian market very well or whether this is an international problem right on the face of it uh, i think it's an uh, international uh, problem but the no, devil is in the detail right so the nuances have to be understood in terms of how the supply chain and the logistics of uh, electric vehicles uh, would be would be structured or how it would evolve over a period of time one example would be that a bunch of used electric vehicles in the eu region i read were ending up in ukraine uh, and not really uh, within that eu ecosystem so how do you assess uh, such a such a situation on multiple layers right one is you your own circular economic infrastructure which is being established do you support that kind of a sale into another country or you don't so the, these challenges slash economic opportunities are are uh, open at this moment we don't know how the geopolitical uh, decision making would be and and how the economic factors would would uh, evolve however in each of their o- ecosystems this is a problem to be solved and the value of 
a second life battery probably multiplies three times or five times in terms of improvement in quality of life in developing countries. And that is where we see that uh, it, it is extremely important to figure out a way to improve the quality of life for a large number of people who still have uh, issue with, with access to energy and then clean energy, which is not from coal. I think we all have that collective responsibility to figure out a way out from there. And hence, I feel that uh, the beneficiary here is, is the developing countries. And if we can design global systems to figure a way out uh, here, I think that would be that would be very very valuable, and and then that can scale the the kind of activities that could happen here, uh, ensuring all our other climate targets uh, moving forward. Uh, I guess the volume of the the batteries which would come from Europe or in the US, if that can uh, be economical and uh, in other ways, from a resources point of view, we find a way out into uh, the developing countries without it being treated as waste. I mean, now, including the in government of India and many other countries, treat them as waste. So the, some of the tech which we are evolving and many other companies globally are evolving to provide economic value to these batteries. And if we can uh, respect the battery uh, to its capacity and not treat as waste and utilize them and evolve a global circular economic strategy for supply chain, uh, uh, which is hard. I may probably be asking for something which is impossible, but uh, but that's my wish that if 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 we can evolve a global circular economic strategy around batteries that can benefit clean energy access in developing countries, I think that could be game changer. Well, I, I think that's a really interesting clarification to to make uh, thank you for, for a great answer to that question and i just wanted to look a little bit further into the future you've talked about some of the early niches uh, for the company but how do you see the the sector for second life batteries evolving to 2030 what's your what's your vision for where things could be by then i guess the entire ecosystem here has a great amount of learning on how the e EU is treating uh, the topic in terms of policy and as well as uh, encouraging stakeholder responsibility in the ecosystem. And one brilliant regulation they are about to bring uh, or, or a policy is on battery passport. Uh, I think uh, amongst the rest of it, this is one of the key elements to bring in circularity in the battery ecosystem hoping and considering that all major economies would employ uh, a battery passport kind of a concept i think there lies the birth of uh, second life opportunities starting here in india i think next few years is about creating partnerships which are built on sustainable practices transparency in data and knowing that we are all in it to get every joule of energy in, in these cells before they're actually uh, recycled. So that is uh, that should be our motto. Uh, and, and I guess 20, up to 2030, I have no 
pessimism left, but it's all about optimism to see uh, that everybody will come together to to make this uh, happen. And and it's it's a world of uh, new innovation around both business and technology to evolve and make every stakeholder here profitable. I mean, they I don't see this as a as a charity. It is definitely uh, a, an opportunity which has both profit and sustainability in place uh, in right proportions, which takes us to the next set of, uh, uh, let's say, collective goals as a country and and as 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 a planet we have to to fight climate change. I couldn't ag- agree with those last statements more than I do, um, and I really liked your framing around getting every joule of energy out of the out of the cells. The IEA uh, produced a report earlier this year. Um, on the role of critical minerals in the energy transition, which looked at the some of the issues in the supply chains and um, you know the whole range of issues facing the the inputs into into things like batteries. And if we can just make sure that you know each battery that is made is is used right up until uh, the end of the cell's useful life, I think that's um, a great ambition to have. So. Darshan, thank you so much for answering all of our questions and being patient with them and sharing your inspirational story. Um, We only have one thing left uh, for this episode of the podcast, which is a set of rapid fire questions um, that we're imposing on all of our our guests. Uh, And so I hope you uh, can provide us with some succinct answers to the the following questions that Siddharth and I will will go through. I'm going to kick off um, with the first one for you, uh, which is, will India get to net zero emissions before or after 2070? Uh, it's a tough question. And uh, I must confess that I'm not an expert in most of the other factors which uh, contribute to to this goal. However, uh, uh, I am an optimist by will, and I see tremendous momentum uh, in, in our uh, in our society and and especially in the startups community uh, uh, towards uh, climate change uh, i must also share that i am part of this group called sustainability mafia here in uh, in india where we have we have bunch of climate startup cli- uh, climate tech companies uh, more than 50 of them uh, creating incredibly valuable solutions to the ecosystem and all of them have a great combination of uh, economics and sustainability and 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 materials in in place uh, i think uh, gone are those days where we see sustainability startups as enablers in small ecosystems or in small geographies uh, we have to dream big and uh, i think we are there we 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 will make that happen uh, in in any which way with respect to the targets i guess uh, it's it's a, a global topic uh, not just from india i guess uh, we need uh, support from other developed nations to make the whole journey uh, a reality and I, I i am looking at it purely from an economic opportunity for the rest of the world to generate uh, green infra and green tech in india and make real money here i still go for 2050 if my personal opinion goes Excellent. I think that is a tremendous response. In fact, thank you for uh, elaborating your response. You know, I think 
uh, we have actually gained a lot from understanding or learning rather about uh, the sustainability mafias and and the, uh, the the ecosystem that you have in general. Now, uh, the rest of the four questions will be uh, shorter, hopefully. But uh, who do you think your biggest competitor will be in the year 2030? I think it's all the other companies who don't want to get into circularity. Exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess we all are collaborating. Uh, the ones who want to make it happen are collaborators and not competitors. Even though if they were working on Second Life, doesn't matter. Uh, we have to make uh, the uh, the reality of second life to be true enough to overcome the social barriers and and the scale challenges etc so i see the naysayers to be my competitors but rest of them are all collaborators exceptional great so third question if it were not for energy what would you be working on Oh, great. Yeah. So before uh, taking up Noonam, uh, I was already in this pursuit of finding a meaningful career path. Uh, and I had uh, experimented solutions in uh, both the ed tech and the agri tech um, space. However, uh, for various reasons or uh, coincidence of uh, multiple factors, I picked uh, energy space, but agri and ed tech was something uh, close to my heart. And if given an opportunity, I may get back to EdTech a few years down the lane. That's excellent. We'll be on the lookout for the app called Darshan, <laughs> which would help educate millions of people across the country. Uh, okay, so very quickly, next question. So uh, what new type of product do you hope your company, Noonam, will be marketing the year 2030? It's a tough one. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure, but uh, we... We we are aligned to the vision of bringing the philosophy of reuse, recycle, reduce into action. Uh, it may be uh, some other material uh, apart from batteries, but uh, we will stick to building tech and processes that can help reduce, reuse, and recycle. Great. And finally, if you could collaborate with one company in India or anywhere in the world, to scale up your operations, which company would that be? I will be picky here to uh, to uh, have somebody in India, and I think that would be uh, Tata. Uh, in 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 perspective, they have uh, the entire value ecosystem uh, for batteries put in place, and the energy sector as well. I guess they are having touch points in multiple uh, of these applications. Um, yeah, and globally, I guess, uh, as uh, we have seen, Audi is uh, having a great force behind us. So Volkswagen Group uh, would be would be my go-to choice. Okay, um, great, Darshan. It's been a real pleasure to, to be speaking to you uh, today and to hear uh, your story, but I think also the, the opportunity that you've, that you've spotted at this particular moment as we scale up uh, electric mobility and also try to meet all of our other goals in, in energy access and in providing affordable and, and reliable energy. Um, I've certainly learned a lot from the, from the conversation. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you and it was a privilege and I hope uh, we all uh, joined together in this act of saving the planet. You've been listening to Innovation Frontlines, a podcast by the International Energy Agency on the innovators and innovations that can take India, and indeed the world, to a net zero emissions future. 
Our next episodes will feature in-depth conversations with India's most promising innovators working on this global challenge.